There are many religions, but there's only one Christianity. There's lots of imitations that try to call themselves Christian, but the truth is, becoming a Christian means accepting, becoming, and living Christ-like. It's not a door, it's not a name on a door, it's a name on a heart. And it's more than a lifestyle. It is a commitment through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, we're continuing our series on the authority of God's Word. I appreciate Vince coming up here and the statements that he was making during receiving our Sunday morning tithe and offering is a fact, ladies and gentlemen, God's Word tells us how to do things if we want to live a victorious life. And, you know, a victorious life, which is what our church name means, means that I have died to Christ and I'm living for Him. And if I ever want to do what God wants me to do, I have to do it His way. Amen? That means sometimes I'm not going to like something. Anybody here ever not like something? But if God says it in his word, what do we do? Last week we touched a lot on that. And this week what I want to do is I want to do a very simple message that I've outlined. We were born an original. Don't die in imitation. And I want you to look at me before I start this message. The problem we have with most of the church, there's a little adage out there. The church has become so worldly and the world has become so churchy, you can hardly tell the difference. I'm not opposed to all the different things that that churches are doing these days. But the reality is I had somebody, I went to a wonderful uh, family gathering. Lenore uh, invited us down to their family gathering. And so we were able to go down there and see the endless sea of a Sorio family. It was just, it was a a wonderful blessing. And we went there and we we led some worship and we sang some songs. It just had a great time. And also ate too much. It was oh, Marissa. Where is Marissa? She, she's probably in the nursery or probably still cleaning up down there. Yeah, they're getting. But, uh, you know, that, that, she cooked some homemade tortillas. Now, don't go get too hungry on me. We got about 45 minutes before I'm letting you go. So, but, oh, I had to go back and get two or three more of those just to butter them up and eat them. Oh. It was a wonderful time. But we were there, and one of 
one of, I don't, I don't know the relationship to, to Sister Lenore, uh, this lady goes to a larger church in Phoenix, and she came up to me, and, and we were just talking, and, and I had a great time visiting with Pastor Carlos. He pastors uh, Harvest uh, over on uh, 66, Old 66, and a uh, dear friend, and, and we just had a great time of fellowshipping together. And she, she talked to me, and she said, it's so discouraging for me to go to my church now. She said, I walk into it, and it's like walking into a concert. The music's so loud, I can't enjoy the worship. Hopefully, how was the music today? Was it okay? Was the volume okay? A little loud? A little soft? Okay, crank it 25% next time. No, I'm just kidding. But that's what they're telling the churches. They're telling them to, to do this. And their statement is, we're trying to reach the sinners. And then her statement to me was, but pastor, are they trying to drive out the saints? Now, I'm not, once again, I'm not opposed to it. But ladies and gentlemen, no place in the Word of God does it tell the church to become like the world. They need to see Christ in us. And they can only see that is if we're living that life. And too many of us, I'm sad to say, may die in imitation. They were born again and original. But we're so concerned about somebody else. We're so concerned. Most of you know I ride. I ride. I rode Harleys for many, many years. And I'm part of the Christian Motorcycle Association. Matter of fact, I'm the chaplain uh, of our branch up here. And it's, a, it's just a wonderful blessing to, to be a part of this. And, and in, in riding motorcycle, you know, the American bike is Harley, even though lots of its parts aren't made in America anymore, but we won't talk about that. But I've learned that motorcycles, there's many, many, many imitations. And if you check it out, virtually all motorcycles try to design themselves after the Original. Now, was the Harley the original? Actually, there was one before it. I don't remember the name of it. But the Harley was the one that caught on like fire in America. And though I've seen that there's lots of those that copy it, there's only one original. There's only one original. They've even patented the Harley sound. They've got their, their pistons set at a 45-degree angle. And that's what produces that particular sound. Now, I, I actually just sold my bike recently. And uh, I'll buy another bike down the road. You say, Pastor, you going to buy another Harley? I don't know. I might buy a Honda. I might buy a Yamaha. I used to get caught up in the Harley thing. But the reality is, you know, I like being with the brothers, the sisters. I like, uh, if, if I wasn't here in church this morning, I would be at Two Broke this morning. But I want to talk to you about this whole concept of being born an original and dying an imitation. They say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So let me talk to you about Christianity. There are many religions, but there's only one Christianity. There's lots of imitations that try to call themselves Christian, but the truth is becoming a Christian means accepting, becoming, and living Christ-like. 
It's not a door. It's not a name on a door. It's a name on a heart. And it's more than a lifestyle. It is a commitment through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Understand that Christianity is the only, and I use this word loosely, religion that propagates there's only one truth, and that's God's word. The Mormons, guess what? They've got the Book of Mormon. They've got the Pearl of Great Price. They've got doctrines and covenants. And they say the word of God is the least of the three. The Jehovah Witnesses, they have the uh, New World translation of their Bible that has been completely changed to propagate what they believe. But Christians, guess what? They believe one word, one truth, from everlasting to everlasting, and that is God's word as it was given through the prophets, through the saints over the years. 1,500 years was the scripture written over, yet in all in total harmony and all in total perfection. Just like the Harley, there are many imitations, but only one original. Now, if you ride a different bike, don't get offended at me, please. I'm not lessened. Like I said, I would ride whatever. But unlike the Harley, Christianity, there's only one. And there's only one truth that gives the Christian the ability to live a victorious Christian life. Can somebody say amen today? Christianity claims to be, and I believe, is the original. God's only word, adamantly declared through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That ultimately gives and plans the destination that you and I have, and that's heaven. Sadly, the enemy has succeeded, if not fully conquered, most of the church. Why? Because he did something that most of us are very familiar with. He denominationalized the church. When I read throughout Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation, I don't read about any other church than the church of Jesus Christ. That's the only church I read about. I don't read, and I'm not going to name a bunch of names because I'm not going to put anybody down. But the reality today is when he denominationalized the church, what he effectively did was to neutralize the church's effectiveness in the world. Why? Because this is the mindset. If there's only one original, why are there so many variations? Why? Oh, no, different strokes for different folks. And that's the problem. It's our strokes, not God's word. It's, I like this part of the Bible, so I'll base my denomination on it. I like this part of the Bible, and I'll base my denomination on it. You say, well, pastor, what do they do with the rest of it? They kind of just phase over it. And what I want to convey today If we're going to live and die in original, we have to use all of this book from Genesis to Revelation. Everything, as we talked last week, is profitable for reproof, rebuke, correction, encouragement, enlightenment, instruction to live a victorious Christian life is what Timothy writes. This is why we so desperately need 
to know God's word, to learn God's word, to pour our lives into God's word. So let's do that this morning. John chapter 1. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And you drop down the 14th verse. It says, and the Word became flesh, became human, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, God's only and one and only Son. Since the beginning, the enemy has been working very hard to counterfeit the truth, thereby giving multitudes the temptation of an alternative. Well, if you don't like this church, you can go to that church. When the Word of God says it's not our place to pick a church, it's His place. The Bible says that He places us in the body where He sees fit. But too many times, because we're unfamiliar with the Word, you say, Pastor, I know the Word. There's a million miles place difference from the Word in the head and the Word in the heart. The Scripture tells us in John 8.32, it's not on the screen, but it's in your, it's, uh, in your Bible. It says you will know the truth, and the truth you know will set you free. Look at Matthew 7. You enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Now stop for a second. Is God giving me an idea that there's a pretty fine line that we have to walk? Oh, I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm not talking about restriction. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about one way. Because that's what the word of God. He says, only enter through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, it says, is broad, and the gate is wide, and many choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. And I want you to underline this in your notes. Very few find it. Say, Pastor, that sounds so hard. It's not hard at all. It's just whether... You say, well, Pastor, what's the difference? It's whether this word becomes your life or only the parts you like become your life. That's the difference. When, when God, and I've said this, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it bears so much weight, he gave us ten commandments, not ten suggestions. Ray, so good to see you. How you feeling, my friend? Ray just went through quadruple bypass surgery. And look, at God's brought him here already. Is he doing okay, Wanda? Straight is the way. Narrow is the gate. I read an interesting thing on Facebook, and it was just really, it was kind of, kind of interesting and eye-opening at the same time. He said, the fact that the, that there is a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven, we might consider the numbers that are going. Oh, look. You are so fun, Bob. There is a highway to hell. How many know the song? 
That's okay. You can admit it. Okay. I know it too. But there's only a stairway to heaven. He said, Pastor, those are only songs. Well, let me read the scripture. Broad is the way and many find it that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to heaven. John 14. I want you to read this with me. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. I want you to read this with me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, say that again, no one, say that again, no one can come to the Father except through me. It's only one way, only one original. Why are we trying to imitate everything else? Why are we trying to follow? And I say that loosely, we, because I believe for the most part in our church, that's not the way it is. But the reality is the church as a whole. I get concerned at times. Acts 4 says there is salvation in no one else. No other name that was given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable. And this is kind of where I want to build this message from this morning. Because I believe in the day and hour we live, there's many that call on Christ that are on shaky ground. Because they got one foot in the world and one foot in God. And they got this mindset, well, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do okay. You know, I'm going to get right just before. My Bible says he comes like a thief. How many ever had their house broke into? Did the thief send you an email before he's coming? Did you send you a postcard? Did he, did he spotlight, put big lights out there and said, I'm coming tomorrow night at 1230. Don't be home. The thief doesn't tell you. He just shows up. And the, the, the Bible says that's how Jesus is returning for his church. He told the parable about the wheat and the tares. And it's the picture of the original and the imitation or the real and the counterfeit. They grow up right next to each other. A farmer plants the field of wheat. But the enemy comes along in the night secretly, unaware, and he plants weeds. As they grow up, how many ever grew a garden? It's tough to tell what's a weed and what's a plant, isn't it? Until after a certain time. When they're first growing up, it's tough sometimes. And it's the same way. In the church, he plants weeds. As they grew, they looked so much like the wheat until it was too late, and then the bad seed even perverted and destroyed some of the good seed. Jesus said this is happening in the church. God's word tells us in the last days there will be genuine Christians, there will be fake Christians. Very convincing in fact, the Bible says they will even deceive multitudes. You say, well, Pastor, how do I determine the genuine and the fake? You watch their lives and you listen to their words. You watch their lives and you listen to their words. It's real simple. Well, Pastor, is it really that simple? Yep. 
their life and their words will contradict God's life and his words. Am I making sense this morning? See, say, Pastor, you're preaching this today to help us understand that there's one original and lots of imitations. That's right, one original, God's word. Genesis to Revelation, every word, every day is for your life and for mine. Nothing else. You say, Pastor, I've read some really good books. Great. Do they line up with God's word? Well, you know, mostly fire paper. You see, folks, let me, let me tell you something. I've read lots of books in my life. I still, I've got four books on my desk that I'm reading right now. And you know what my one single denominator has to be? It has to line up with God's word completely. If it doesn't, then that book's good for this winter when i got to start some fires. Am I making sense this morning so far? Don't be born an original and die an imitation. The Bible, let me tell you a little bit about this book. I left it in your notes because I thought it would be very interesting for us to see. The Bible is written over 1,500 years. Think about how the Spirit of God moved. Written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, scholars, statesmen. It was written in different locations and situations. It was written in the wilderness. It was written in a dungeon. It was written in a palace. It was written in prison walls. Through times of, of, of traveling on lonely islands in the midst of a war, It was written in times of peace. It was written in times of battle. It was written in times of joy. It was written in times of great sorrow and depression. It was written written on the span of three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It covers hundreds of controversial subjects, all in harmony and continuity from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Still, there is one unfolding story at the core of its entirety. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the string of God's love and redemption, a scarlet thread that is woven through, that is dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ that says there's one hope for mankind. You see, God's Word, God's Word teaches us what is right. God's Word helps us to do what is right. God's Word corrects us that we can get right. And at the same time, God's Word shows us how to stay right. But the bottom line, is it's got to become more than just ink and pages. It's got to become the application of our lives. It has to be something that we sit up and say, okay, God, you said I can't have sex before marriage. Are you sure that's what it means? Yes. Well, God, I, I shouldn't do anything in excess. I sure like drinking. Pastor, is is drinking a glass of wine going to send me to hell? I don't think so. Drinking a case of wine will probably get you there before you know it. 
You say, Pastor, are you advocating wine-bibbing? No, not at all. But I'm trying to give you what God's Word says. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. He just said, find out if you have the world or the world has you. The late Charles Colson was asked to preach at a university And the only thing that he was asked specifically not to do was talk about God's Word. That night, after speaking in the university, he went to a prison. And the only thing the warden specifically asked him to talk about was God's Word. Chuck Colson said, it's really sad. Where they need to hear the Word of God, it's refused. But when their life is destroyed... They want to know what they can do to get it fixed. Ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you right now, God never promised us smooth sailing. He promised us a safe landing. And if we'll apply God's word, if we will look at God's word as the only authority in our lives, the only authority in our lives, I guarantee that rough ride will be smoothed out. A whole lot. Why? Because you'll know there's somebody journeying with you. Am I making any sense today? Leonard Ravenhill, a a great man of God that's went to his reward. I I had the privilege of having coffee with him a few times when I was pastoring in in Tyler, Texas. His ministry was right there just north of of Tyler, Texas, uh, where David Wilkerson and Keith Green, some of us older folks remember Keith Green, and their all ministries were all there, and And uh, I remember him saying these words, and so I wanted to jot it down. He said, if you have the Spirit without the Word, you blow up. If you have the Word without the Spirit, you dry up. But if you have the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. Secondly, this morning and quickly, man's Word can sometimes sound very convincing. But if it doesn't line up with God's Word... Plain and simple, it's counterfeit. It's not an issue of understanding, comprehension, or clarification. It's simply an issue of obedience. We are to obey God's word if we are to understand God's will. Simply put, God's will is that we apply God's word God's way. Therefore, or excuse me, there are so many times that we take for granted this book. I've been to many countries, Pastor Philemon's been to to some of them, and they would literally give their life to get a Bible. There's, There's Christians that have based their entire Christianity on one verse, on one page, on one passage, on one chapter, a simple portion of the book because it was so difficult to obtain an entire Bible. Many of us in this room, we probably got multiple Bibles in our homes. You see, what happened to these people? You say, Pastor, how could they base their entire life on one scripture? Because it wasn't about the scripture, it was about the heart connected to the Scripture. 
They didn't have full understanding of everything, but they knew that somebody loved them enough that he made a difference in their life. And they've listened to all the other people, and they watch their lives. I remember reading a story about a missionary, or a, excuse me, a, a, yeah, a missionary that, that won an entire tribe of cannibals to the Lord. And all of a sudden, this, this, uh, this philanthropist come to this island, or came to this island. English teachers, work with me, please. Came to this island, and this philanthropist said, you can't tell me that your people are so naive that they would accept what some missionary said about some guy that died 2,000 years. You can't tell me you would accept all of that and believe that. And the king that he was talking to said, do you see that rock over there? He said, before those missionaries came, that's where we killed our enemies and had them for dinner. If it wasn't for those missionaries, we wouldn't be talking. We'd be having dinner. You see, there's something about a life that's changed by this word. And there's something about a life, and I'm going to tell you here in just a few minutes how to know that you know you're following God's word, okay? There's something about a life that follows this word without question. In Ezra 7.10, the Bible says, Ezra devoted himself to study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teach its degrees to Israel. I shared last week a statement that Mark Twain said that it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do. And he said, that's what I'm going to base my life on. Trust is the key to all that we will ever be in God. Trust is the root of obedience. I will not trust or obey God's word if I don't trust it. If I don't think, well, that's not for me, well, guess what? You're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Once again, we go back to the whole denominationalizing of the church. If you take, I said I wouldn't get into that, so I'm not going to. But if you take the whole Bible and apply it to your life, then that's what's going to matter. That's what's going to change your life. There are several keys I just mentioned when it comes to building our relationship with God and the use of his word. First and foremost, before I get into those keys, we have to trust God. We have to trust God. It's on the screen, even when we don't understand God. Naaman, we know the story. We find it in 2 Kings. Naaman had leprosy, and he went to the king of Israel at the time, or the king of Judah at the time, and the king said, why are you coming to me? You think I'm God or something? I can't heal. So he sent him over to the prophet, uh, Elijah. And he went to Elijah, and Elijah would not even come down and see him, but sent his servant. Boy, that infuriated Naaman. And then he told him to go to the dirtiest river in the area, and he would be cleansed. And he walked away. He didn't walk away. He stormed away. And all of a sudden, one of his servants, servants say, Master, if the prophet would have told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more he told you to do this simple thing? 
And so we know what the Bible says. Naaman went, dipped himself into the river Jordan seven times and came up completely cleansed of his leprosy. Folks, we're not going to always understand, but we still do. Even when it seems illogical, Jesus was at the marriage supper of Cana, the very first place of a miracle, and he was there, and Mary was there, the disciples were there, and they ran out of wine. And the host of the event came to Jesus. Mary came to Jesus. And Mary said these words. said, guys, it doesn't make a difference. Whatever he says to do, do it. We talked about that last week. Peter put his boat out off the shore. They've been fishing all night. And he starts questioning Jesus kind of like, do you know how to fish? They fished all night, didn't catch a thing. But Jesus told them to row out and cast their nets in the deep. And you see the victory of Peter's heart. He said these words, just because you say so, I'll do it. Sometimes it's illogical, but if God's word says it, Even if opinions vary, according to Matthew 24, according to Isaiah 55, multitudes of other scriptures, even if opinions vary, God's word's always right, man's word's always wrong, without question. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it's wrong. Pretty simple. Number four, even when all else fails, God said he'll never let us down. 2 Timothy 2 says, even when we're not faithful, God remains faithful. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, she spent years and years on the doctors and was not better. And she said, but if I could just touch his garment. She said, if I could just touch his garment. In Luke chapter 8, we see, the, the, uh, we see Jairus, whose daughter was sick and died. And Jesus told him, just believe. Just believe. And Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, he said, except a man be born again. You see, when it comes to trusting God, when it comes to giving God the final authority in your life, it's not a matter of what we like and don't like. It's a matter of what God's word says. You know, I, I, I've been personally through things. I've been offended, I've been hurt, I've been dealt with in this way and that way. And you know what? I, I was having a meeting with some pastors the other day. And they said, they said, well, what do you do? And I said, gentlemen, we don't have the option to let it bother us. We don't have that option. Does that mean we're perfect? Does that mean we're, you know, I, I talked a, a, a two weeks ago in the first part of this series that I, I have rhino skin or something? Sure, yeah. No. Folks, it's reality. As a pastor, we have to be able to lift people up, even if they're trying to tear you down. Oh, pastor, that's not biblical. I think Jesus did that. I think Paul said that. I think Moses did that. I think throughout the word of God, that's what God tells leaders to do. 
Am I making any sense today? One of my very favorite quotes of all time is by a man named Charles Spurgeon. When you can't trace God's hand, you can always trust God's heart. I don't always understand what God's doing, but I know God's heart. And that's where I live on. That's what I stand on. Let me get to point three of this and wrap this up this morning. To stay an original and not die an imitation, we must only follow the original. Nothing else. I don't care. There's some great books out there, folks, that I've read from Christian pastors. There's too much them and too little him in it. Does it make everything everything bad or everything? No, it's just they, they have a particular thing and that's what they wrote. Not a problem. I just don't read that book. Say, well, Pastor, how do I know? I'm glad you asked. We'll learn God's word as we study and apply God's word. Only then will we begin to walk in God's way. I've got six different thoughts here that will help us to know that we're following the original. Okay? I call it developing convictions. All the word conviction is, it's a very simple word that means I made a decision. That's what a conviction is. What I will and won't do. And I taught the men here a few months ago, and I said, guys, understand, you can't make a decision the day of the event. You have to make the decision a long time ago. I made a decision a long time ago. I'm not going to be alone with a woman other than my wife in any capacity. I've had, I've had ladies, and I, I love all of you, but not necessarily in this church, but, you know, when they call the office and they want to have an appointment with me, they have to tell my secretary, what the appointment's about. Gosh. Why? I'm not going there blindsided. Number one. But number two, it may not be something for me to talk to them about. Maybe something for my wife to talk to them about. Another woman in the church to talk to them about. Not going to do that. Not going to do that. And then the second thing the person tells them is, Pastor, will have somebody in the room with them. That's called a conviction. I won't do that. Now, I'll meet out in the open with people, but I won't meet in private. Say, Pastor, can't, you can't trust that person? Yeah, I trust him completely, and I trust me completely. But I don't trust the devil. And all I need you to be is walking by and seeing me and Julie sitting down at a coffee shop just smiling and, and talking. We're talking about godly things. But it can sure look different, couldn't it? This is why the Word of God says, flee the appearance of evil. You say, Pastor, those are hard calls. I want to stay in the original. Are you okay? I need more than two amens. Okay, good. How to develop convictions. How do you stay in original? Number one, letter A, begin to learn what God's Word says on subjects. You want to know what God's Word says about adultery? Look it up. You want to know what God's Word says about smoking pot? Look it up. You want to know what God's Word says about about, uh, doing all kinds of different things, drinking alcohol or or going out partying? and, and Go look it up. Well, God don't have anything. God has a lot to say. 
And the reason we don't want to look it up is because we don't want to stop. That wasn't in my notes, Pastor. I just came. Very simply, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not, you know, and I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, what I just said, but the reality, folks, it's not hard to find out what God's Word says about a particular subject. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible, but go find out what it says about a subject. Number two, begin to choose to obey and apply God's Word in your decisions. What does that mean? I'm making a decision about something, and I don't like what doing right makes me do. Make a decision that I'm going to apply God's word in my decisions. I'm helping us to understand how to stay an original. Number three, begin to expose any area in your life that needs to change. How many think these are good points? Number four, begin to decide, and this is a tough one, what's worth living for, and what's worth dying for. Because one will keep you an original, and one will cause you to be an imitation. I, I have to decide every day in my life as a pastor what battlefields to fight on, what battlefields to die on. It's not easy. I mean, Pastor Philemon deals with it. Pastor Ray deals with it. Anybody in leadership, you will deal with it. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to learn when to talk, when not to talk, when to run, when to stand, when to jump, when to sit down, when to open mouth, and if you're like me, when to insert foot. you got to learn what's worth living and what's worth dying for. Number five, begin to settle the issues of life before you're faced with them. You can't make a decision today about something you're facing today. You have to make a decision, just like meeting with, with the opposite sex. I made that decision as a young pastor. just not going to do it. And there's lots of decisions. If you don't make them before you face them, you will fall. That's just what it is. Okay? That's not a, that's not a well, you're not, you don't know how strong I am. I just know what the Word of God says. Remember Joseph? Joseph was taken out of prison and raised to be second man in the kingdom. Actually, not at this time he wasn't. He was the servant to Pharaoh. And Potiphar's wife, or the, actually the, under, the underling of Pharaoh, Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. How many remember reading it? I mean, she was trying to corner him any way possible. One day, he's in the king's chambers, and Mrs. King shows up. Not Mrs. King, Mrs. Potiphar, Miss, that person, shows up. Joseph, oh, Joseph, who? And Joseph knew that you who. And he said, Mrs. Potiphar, no, no, I serve my God. You see, Joseph made convictions, decisions, determinations long before it ever happened. He said, no, I serve my God. I will not violate my God. I will not violate my, my commitment to God. I will not do. And the Bible says he ran out, and she kept his cloak. And he did right and still went to prison. But in looking at the big picture of God, and I want you to grab this, folks. 
understand the big picture of God. If you're doing right and it still goes wrong, God's got something planned. Are you with me? If you're doing right and it still goes wrong, God has something planned. See, Joseph was thrown in the prison, but he rose to be the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. You know why? Because Potiphar even knew his heart. They all knew he was doing right and she was doing wrong. You've got to make settle issues of life before you're forced to. And number six, begin to devour God's word. I've had people tell me, Pastor, you sure have a lot of scripture memorized. I've been reading this book 30 plus years. I've put a lot of it through my memory. Why? I face a lot of stuff. If you're a leader in this room, you will face more than anybody else in your little group. If you're a leader, you better start applying God's word, even the parts you don't like. Second Peter, as the worship team comes. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to the new heaven, the new earth, home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, listen to what it says here, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. He puts up with lots of stuff because he's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance, another translation says. And he said that the Lord's patience means salvation, as Paul has written in many of his letters, things that are hard to understand, which ignorant, that word ignorant, let me change it to those who ignore the truth. And unstable, unstable are those that don't want to do the truth. They will distort, as do they in other scriptures. But look what it says here in your notes. But to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on guard so that you may not be carried away in the error of lawless men and fall from the secure position. In other words, that you will not be carried away to become an imitation instead of staying an original but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. And then David tells us the 119th Psalm, this is how I stay in original. He said, I hid God's word in my heart that I would not sin against you. Two things that are in your notes as we conclude. We must learn God's word, love God's word, and live God's word if we expect God's word to change our lives or others. Before and above anything else, God's word has to have the final authority in our lives. In John 3, 16 through 18, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And it says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of the Father. I'll take you back to the scripture we began. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. The Word was with us, with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. There's only one hope for mankind, and that's Jesus. The authority of God's Word is in Jesus. Amen? I wonder if we could bow our heads this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me just ask you for a moment. Before we do anything else, are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Has he become your all and all? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. If you don't know him, today's your day. He made this day just for you. I wonder if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. I wonder if you would say, Pastor, that's me. And I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to introduce you to my Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you lift your hand up high quickly as nobody's looking around. Just lift it up high and put it right back down. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I see that hand in the back. Others, lift your hand up high. Let me, let me see it. I want to pray with you. If that's you today, I wonder if you would say, Pastor, remember me. Pray with me. Just quickly before I change the order of this service. Okay, if you raised your hand, I want you to do something very brave right now. I wonder if you would get up out of your chair, walk down this aisle, and come find a place and pray with me. If you raised your hand and you say, I want to either commit my life to Christ or rededicate my life, if that's you, quickly just get up out of your chair and come down this aisle. I want to pray with you. But let me talk to the rest of you for just a second. I've preached a very simple message. And the message was, how do we live? An original. How do we stay an original? And I have listed six different points. But the six different points will never work if you don't first trust God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're here today as a Christian, and this isn't a slap in the face, this isn't a, but you found yourself not wanting to stand against the things of the world, but you find yourself rather falling into them. Folks, it's hard. It's hard to stand up. And people will say, what are you, holier than thou? Not at all. I just made a decision. I know whom I have believed. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel as we talked about last week. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've given in this area or that area. It doesn't matter which it is. But you say, I want to be what God called me to be. From this day forward, I'm going to live an original. I'm going to do everything that I know. I'm going to start looking for what God's Word says. I'm going to start applying God's Word. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I just want to recommit my life to Christ and make that decision. 
I wonder if you would just stand up in this auditorium and come find a place at this altar and make that commitment to Christ. It's not making a commitment to me. It's making a commitment to Him. God, no more. No more. It's not going to be three steps forward and two steps back. It's going, it might be three steps forward and one step back, but I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. If that's you, I wonder if you just step out of your chair quickly. Come to this altar as we begin to worship, as we begin to sing the song about how worthy he is, about the life that he gave to help us in the life that we must live. If that's you, come quickly. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.